Hey guys, what's up? This is episode three of Tales of the People podcast. And today I have Natalie with me. Natalie has just uh, released a book called Inside Out, which is set in a dystopian world where there are two groups of people, the outsiders and the insiders. So Natalie, you can introduce yourself. Hi. Um, as you rightly said, my name is Natalie Hibbard and I've come on today to talk about my new book, it's a dystopian thriller in the vein of um, 1984, Fahrenheit 451, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and I'm really excited to talk to you guys today. Nice, I'm excited to have you on. Now, before getting into Natalie's episode, um, I just want to address a few things. First of all, my normal um, upload schedule will be for Sundays, but I had some issues this week. So hopefully I'll get her episode, well, this episode out by tomorrow or Thursday and I'll have another episode hopefully on Sunday. Um, second of all, I just want to shout out my editor. Uh, his name is Matt and you can contact him at Royal Ruto, R-O-Y-A-L-R-U-T-O.com. Uh, he creates original music, sound effects and audio engineering for games, films, podcasts and more. So get in contact with him if you want some music or editing for your podcasts. So Natalie, tell us about yourself. So I'm 21 years old. I'm from Hampshire in England and I've wanted to be a writer my whole life. And in November this year, I finally published my first book. Oh, how exciting was that? And how long was this book kind of in your mind and, you know, in the works? Oh, it was very, very exciting. There's only ever been one thing that happened to me that's more <laughs> exciting than publishing the book. That was when my nephew was born, my first right. nephew. <laughs> so this is a big, big deal for you. So, um, well, how, how long was the book in the works? Like, has it been a vision in your mind for a long time? Oh, yeah, very long time. So um, I started the first draft of Inside Out when I was 12. Um, when I was 14, I finished it, um, but it's been through a good few um, edits and tweaks since then. And um, yeah, I finally bought it out November of last year, which is uh, just after I turned 21. So, so yeah, it's been a what long would the, um What were the like, substantial changes that you made over those, those years? Was it like that you began to see the world differently and your inspiration changed? Um, I don't think I really saw the world differently. And I think the themes of the book and the characters and the kind of key scenes, they pretty much sort of stayed as they were. But um, as I got older, I learned more about the technical um, business of writing and I could, I had a few more tricks up my sleeve, so to speak. So I guess I was just um, tightening. Yeah, you improved, you improved on your craft itself over the years. Sure. Yeah. So how, um, you know, well, tell us about the book, actually, um, more in depth about the book. Okay. So like you said, in your introduction, it's set in a world that's divided into these two factions, the inside and the outside. And the people that live on either side of that, um, barrier don't mix with each other unless it's to do each other harm. And the inside are um, under threat as they see it from an outside terrorist group. The outsiders call them the freedom fighters. The insiders um, view them as terrorists. And 
the uh, leader of the inside government decides that it would be a really good idea to parachute a teenage spy over the border into the outsider's uh, midst to try and bring them down from the inside. And the book is kind of, it chronicles the lives of the young people mostly and what it's like to grow up on either side of that um, that barrier and how it affects them as they grow up. That's actually an interesting premise. Have you ever seen Atomic Blonde? I haven't, oh, no, no, but I've heard. You should, you, should che- you should check it out because it's it's a book about spies and uh, the concept of your spy is pretty similar, to be honest. Um, not too similar, but it, it's, I mean, a spy is always the same thing, right? They kind of go undercover and go in. Yes, a spy but, um, is always a spy. But um, sure. you, should, you should look at it. It's a, it's a, it has, it's a good movie. And... Um, Oh, well, what um, what real life inspirations did you draw on, and you know what comparisons um, would you make in your book and real life? Um, well, I think the biggest uh, thing I drew inspiration from is um, the thing that makes me angrier than anything else, which is prejudice against someone or a group of people based on a factor that they can't control. Um, so something like racism or sexism or um, from my own personal perspective, probably I would think about ableism because I have a, a physical disability and that has caused some uh, difficulties in yeah, my life course. with their practices and things yeah. like that. Um, some people are just horrible and stupid. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think about those kind of um, judgments that people make about each other, just based on such random things. Like it can do so much harm, but it has no basis in fact. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that kind of worries me big time. So I think that's probably... Yeah, and the the, the problem is that we're kind of uh, seeing more of those things in society today. Oh, sure. I mean, when I started writing the book I could never have sort of imagined what the political climate in my own country or around the world would um what it would turn into you know this kind of uh of kind of vitriol and you know you're either with us or against yeah, us exactly. mentality there's no, there's no kind of nuance in anything anymore yeah, exactly. and it's, um, you know, it's really it's, it's, it's really black or white you know it's either you're 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 on one sure. side or the other um and i suppose then that the insiders are simply born into that life and the outsiders are born into that life meaning they can't um you know change or it's not their fault right yes and i think uh both of them in a way kind of don't want don't want to change especially the insiders wouldn't want to change because um the status quo kind of works for them you know as on the whole they're they're the ones that um see themselves as superior and they have kind of the privilege but what the book shows is you know everything's not as easy for them as it maybe looks on the that's interesting then so you so you have um you kind of have an aspect of the book that addresses the idea that because you're rich or in power, life is easy. You can address that part and it's not always as it seems. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
um, that it's certainly easier for them in a lot of respects and uh, for most of them, but it's not that's not the case for everybody. And it's something I really wanted to address, yeah, because assumptions are made on both sides about what life for the other side is. Yeah, like. we see that now all the time um, as well, which is basically like um, assumptions, generalizations. So you see that in real life as well. Sure, yeah, far too much. Yeah. <laughs> and if I can do just my little tiny bit to try and um, bring down that kind of culture, then I'll be happy. Yeah, exactly. So what did you learn about yourself while writing the book? Oh, um, what did I learn about myself? Um, well, first thing I learned was that I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I started, I just thought, right, I'm just going to jump in. I'm just going to see how capable I am and how far I can get with this. So um, I was a lot more capable. Than you, than you told of than yourself. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting because people yeah. these days, um, they don't believe in themselves, first of all, right? Like, um, you know, I'm only, I'm only three episodes into this podcast with you, your episode counting. And I didn't think, you know, I could, um, I could easily do it. Um, you know, I'm three episodes in, which isn't much, but I'm doing it. And just like your book, you, you, you probably couldn't imagine you actually finishing it or doing it on the whole, but you did it. So that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Oh, thank you. And you're doing really well with your podcast. I've listened to the first episodes and I just love Love it so much. Thanks, thanks. So was the, were any of the characters inspired by real persons? You know, people you see in politics or anyone you've ever met in real life? Um, I don't know if they were inspired by any one particular person. I think most of the main characters have a little tiny element of me inside them somewhere. There's an old adage that says that writers put a bit of themselves into all of their characters. And I can definitely see different aspects of me kind of coming through. But also the things that I wanted to reflect in my characters are more um, attitudes I've encountered rather than uh, specific people. So um, say I had somebody uh, behave towards me in a threatening way right? Uh, because sure I was disabled and they thought they could, you know, they were either scared or um, disrespectful or whatever. Um, I kind of tried to reflect those kind of behaviors into the people that I put into my story. Right, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's mainly the uh, insiders who kind of have the bad attitudes or do you do you give the um, negative attitudes to the outsiders as well? Oh, the outsiders, they have a lot of um, a lot of negativity about them for oh, sure okay. um, they're they're the ones that are kind of more i'm gonna say overtly violent right. oh okay so it's um, not just a book where one they, side is good and one side is bad it's not it's not that simple it's it's more diverse oh man yeah i mean diversity is a really big deal for me and like, you read a lot of books where it's like you've got the good guys and you've got the bad guys and they kind of smash each other up and the good guys win in the end and it's all great um and you know i like those kind of comic book stories as much as anyone yeah. Yeah, i literally I, literally I, just I, sort of various comic book movies but some of them um i mean have some have some variation so yeah sure not all comic book movies are the, are the same 
um, for sure. But uh, you kind of have that archetype yeah. of you have the superhero and the supervillain. Yeah. Um, and I love comic books, um, but I don't think that those types of stories reflect what real people are yeah, like. No, and I think producing people to those things like this person is a villain or this person is a hero i think that can actually damage people in real life so i guess i wanted to try and be a bit slightly more original and a bit more nuanced in my my characters so the name the book's name is uh, inside out is there any kind of reference or meaning behind the name uh well it's one of those, it has a few meanings attached. So the kind of the surface meaning is uh, in reference to the, my two factions, the inside and the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I tried in the book to turn the attitudes of the characters and the situations they found themselves in. I tried to turn them inside out and kind of examine them from the inside. Both yeah, sides. from their perspective and the uh, um, and the opposite perspective. Sure. Yeah. So I think those are kind of the big, big meanings. And of course, um, when they, the inside government do decide to send a spy um, over the border, things really do turn inside out for her and for everybody really so yeah i think it has a fair few means attached so are you generally a creative person or um like do you do you create in other ways or is it mainly writing i i am i would definitely say that creativity is uh one of my strong points um i'm actually i'm trying to think of another strong point i have and i'm struggling (laughs) a bit Um, so so I think it's probably the main um, strong right. point that I have. And I do, I do try. Um, I kind of dabble in other things, like I, I sketch and I paint. Right, yeah. um, but I'm not very, I'm not very You're good. You're better than me. I can't but, even draw a stick figure. I can't paint. I used to fail art classes. So, you know. Oh, I completely, I completely oh, failed okay, art well. classes. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't draw in any kind of... Um, you know how in art classes, this is another thing that used to annoy me, that you would always have to paint, or at least in my art classes, you'd always have to paint in the style of somebody yeah, else. Yeah. Some famous author. And that, I think, kills art for a lot of people. Yeah, no, I just couldn't do it. I just, I just wasn't good at it. And I also felt like now I, 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 I strongly believe that other people in my class uh, had their parents doing it or something. But that's just my conspiracy theory. That's that's quite possible. Yeah, I, I, I was like, how oh, oh, are you so good at this? I just can't be timed because I would I would sit there and try, but um, you know, I just wasn't good. But, oh. um, well, good on you for trying <laughs> so hard and giving up, and I'm sure you're not as bad as nah, you. I, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I am. But uh, why did you uh, why <laughs> did you uh, gravitate towards writing then as your you know preferred um, outlet? Um. It's kind of hard for me to answer that question because um, the first memory I have of writing takes place before I could actually write. Right. Um, so I was sitting, I was in my grandparents' living room and I saw a robin in their garden. And I was about 
two years old and I christened this Robin Robbie, very original <laughs> name. And I decided that he had all these kind of um, adventures. And I sat in front of my mom and my big sister and my older cousins and I would like tell them the stories and I'd be like, write this down quick. And they'd be like, slow down, we can't write that fast. Yeah. And um, ever since then, it's just kind of been um, a part of me, I guess. Like, um, it wasn't really something I chose. It kind of chose yeah. me. Talking yeah. about like that aspect of that, like last night when I was, you know, preparing for this interview and, you know, wondering what I could bring up, like I was thinking about Harry Potter and it's like your idea with seeing that Robin and, you know, having ideas come to you. It's incredible to me because you think of Harry Potter and you start off with like a child who, when it, he was born under, you know, whatever circumstances and he's just dropped off at a house and then he lives under a staircase and then some giant comes, kicks in the door, takes him away to a magical school. He goes through all these adventures Hello. and it's like, how does she, like, I don't understand how she taught those things and same thing for like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones. I don't understand how these people that write these things think of these things um that's incredible so like who who are your kind of um motivations or um you know in terms of writers who do you kind of look up to oh so so many um harry potter you mentioned and i'm a huge harry potter fan i I think anybody i think most females born between 1990 and and 2000s actually 2005 would probably be a big harry potter fan yeah, and I think plenty of males well, yeah. too. I think it's yeah. you know, we're quite a large yeah. bunch. Yeah. Um, so that would definitely be one. Um, another uh, book series and writer that I absolutely love are the How to Train Your Dragon books mm-hmm. by Cressida Cowell. Yeah. Those are movies um, as well, right? Another, they yeah. are, yeah. And um, the movies are very good, but they're very different oh, from okay. the book. So that. In it's that in itself interested me because I love them both, right? Even though they're kind of pulls apart. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that's that, that should in, teach you that um, you can things. have different interpretations in different directions, you know. Sure, and uh, I mean, that uh, How to Train Your Dragon World is another kind of uh, I think there are 12 books in the series in total, and every new book I would get and read, and some, some other. Um, tribe or species of dragon would just pop up, and I, I it does amaze me that one person can yeah, can come it's up with all those things. To be honest, so yeah, um, who else? Who else do you? Who else do you like? Oh, so so many. Um, Neil Gaiman. I'm a really big Neil Gaiman fan. He wrote um, Coraline. There was a film of. Uh, a couple of years back, um, he wrote, he's written um, Stardust, American Gods, Good Omens. They just did an Amazon series of Good Omens. But the thing I love most about Neil is that he works across like, so many different mediums. Like he does comics and he does novels and he does picture books and he does movies and he writes for TV, and I just find that yeah, amazing. His, and I've also diversity. met him. Oh, you met him? Oh, yeah. that? I met him once, and that was that was a pretty awesome how day. Was, how, <laughs> I, um, how was it? Oh man, it was awesome. I went along to this talk, and I 
um, just happened to be sat next to his editor in the audience. And she just turns to me and goes, would you like to meet him? And I was like, it, it was like, I imagine what a Christian would go through if someone turned around and were like, would you like to meet Jesus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd like, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. I would very yeah. much. And he was just as um, nice and um, kind and patient and clever as he sounds in his books. So um, I, yeah, that was a pretty awesome day. So that just kind of hyped yeah, my Yeah, he's probably your favorite at this point. Yeah, definitely one of my favorites for sure. So um, do you believe in writer's block then? Um, and if so, how do you deal with it? I do believe in writer's block. And the reason that I believe um, as much as I do in writer's block is um, when I was about 18 um, and I just I just wrapped up uh, the second book in the Inside Out series, I just finished the draft and I just started on the third one right. and I just got stuck. And I mean completely stuck and I couldn't write for... I think it was getting on for two years and it actually really got to me. Like I got quite depressed Wow! Um, because it just suddenly overnight, it just. Yeah. Like your magic disappeared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, it was, you know, it was horrible. Um, so I know lots of writers don't believe in writer's block and I think um, good for them because that indicates to me that something that bad has never happened to them in terms yeah. of <laughs> inspiration, yeah. which I think is great. But yeah, I definitely believe. And how did you uh, deal with it at that time? Um, I struggled. I'm not gonna lie. I really did struggle, and um, I got quite upset. And it actually made me ill for a little while, like uh, mentally ill, because I couldn't do it properly. And that had always been my outlet, and I sort of didn't know. Yeah, you became overwhelmed. um, Without it, sure. Exactly. I understand. So I think. trying to think how did i deal that i I, I think that the the conclusion uh, is always the same i think the conclusion is always the same you just end up writing again somehow (laughs) it just happened yeah i kind of clawed my way but i kind of got to a point where i was like if i don't um somehow find my way back to this then i will probably never feel like myself again exactly so you have to do Um, it so i had a lot of yeah, so I had a lot of um, support and I had a lot of, you know, um, different things to sort of help me with my issues, my confidence issues, because it basically wrecked my confidence. Uh, and eventually I just had to kind of take a deep breath and be like, right, I'm going to try again and, yeah. and thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. it all worked out for the best yeah. so yeah <laughs> keep on trying if you get writer's book keep on trying even though it's so much harder than it sounds no it's clearly you know I, i'm sure a lot of people say they don't get it but they probably don't realize that they have it you know because they just keep trying i guess yeah maybe but uh i mean i know loads of writers say that writer's book doesn't exist and i mean that's great for them because it means that they've never experienced something like that Uh, (laughs) and you know i hope they go on believing it doesn't exist forever because that will mean that they've never had to deal with it which is great right but do you treat uh like writing as a full-time job like how many hours a day do you spend writing on average um i will i'd say most of the time i'm either writing something or i'm plotting something in my head 
or I'm going back and editing something or I'm thinking about a story that I need to write. Um, so I'd say, uh, yeah, most of my life is probably spent sort of thinking yeah, about think. writing or writing in, in some respects. Um, but in terms of how much I physically um, get words on paper, it really varies because some days I like, and it's like touch paper and I just go and go and go and go for hours. And then I look up like six hours later and I realize that I haven't uh, stopped. <laughs> yeah. And other days it's like pulling t- teeth from a hen or something. Like I really um, have to kind of crowbar the words out and that can, that can take a while. So your workflow is kind and of like- dependent on the, like sometimes, sometimes it, it flows like nothing. And then sometimes you can't get a page done. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I have this slightly um, odd thing that I do that I write my first drafts. I always write them entirely by hand uh, in notebooks. And um, because of my disability, I've got cerebral palsy. My fine motor skills are um, slightly impaired. So I find it quite difficult uh, to write. And it takes it out of me so i don't know if that makes me a masochist or yeah. what but i i always i always insist on writing out by hand and um that can take a really long time oh, yeah, that so would, when i get to the part, that would probably extend your work hours by a little bit yeah and when i get to the typing up stage it's it's quite nice to rest my wrists for a little bit i get quite a lot of um repetitive strain injuries yeah uh, which can hold me up for a few days right. So it's nice when I get to the time. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, um, what is the most difficult part of your creative process? Um, I would say that the most difficult thing I have is that my harshest critic is myself. I think I think uh, I've, like, like I've I've seen a lot of interviews with creators, and I think that they all think that way. Um. I think that leads to a conundrum for a lot of creators because they have this um, stage where they're basically like, I want to put something out, but this is not good enough. I want perfection, but I'm not going to get perfection. So should I put this out? Uh, and is it good enough? You know what I mean? So how, how do you, how do you reconcile it? Like yeah. from like you're a creator, so how do you reconcile it? Uh, like I said, it's the thing I kind of have most um, trouble with. Um, I personally had to, oh, I didn't have to, but I decided that I was going to do a lot of um, counseling and cognitive behavioral therapy to kind of help me get to a place where I could kind of admit, like you said, I'm never going to get perfection Mm. because I'm not a robot, so I can't make everything perfect. I've just got to like try my best and just cross my fingers and at least I'll know I've done the best job that I can do um but I still quite often I have that moment when I sit down to write and I'm like I'm not good enough I can't do this um so yeah uh it's really tough and I feel for all the um creators out there who have that problem because I think as a breed we tend to be quite insecure people yeah yeah no, as <laughs> an entire breed of, of beings yeah yeah i mean i don't want to generalize <laughs> but i i would say all the creative people i know and i know a few and all of us are like oh i'm not good enough like 90 percent of the right. time 
So I, I'd say that's pretty big um, impediment to my creative process for sure. Yeah, so there's nothing with the actual creativity, more of your perception of your own creativity. Yeah, I mean, I obviously I have, um, I have those plenty of them where um, things aren't flowing, or I can't, I can see something in my head, but I can't translate it onto the paper, or I'm just fed up of going over the same page or whatever over and over again trying to edit it, and I go a bit crazy and I start to like storm around the house and being like, I hate everybody <laughs> and I hate. <laughs> It's job that I do, um, but eventually I, um, you just have to kind of plow on, I think, and put one word in front of the other, and then eventually you get to a phase where it's like, actually, I don't hate this after all. Right. And then, yeah, then you're so all right. So <laughs> with, with regards to Inside Out, are you trying to build like a body of work, a complete series, or is it a one-off? It's a series of books. Um, only the first one is out at the moment, but I envisage the series as being four books long. Mm -hmm. And I've just plotted out the third. Oh, so you have the second one kind of in the draft stages? Yeah, it's, it's on my computer and it's pretty well drafted. I think it's been through about three or four uh, drafts now, but I'm going to, being a professionalist, <laughs> yeah. And not never learning that I um never learning from my own advice. Yeah. I am gonna keep on trying to make it so perfect. probably twenty twenty one. So you probably get it out. Yeah, I would say so. Nice. Yeah, or maybe later this year. I mean, it depends really. Well, it depends on COVID nineteen. Yeah, so, yeah. So, I mean, so are you uh, yeah. are you self published? Do you have um, a house of publishers? I well, I'm um I'm with what sometimes is called a partnership publisher in that I am self-published, uh, but I am also, I have a team of people around me at my publishers. Like I have oh, so they help you get the book out there and uh, improve the book? Yeah, so I have amazing editors, distributors, um, people who are like so amazing at their respective fields that I know nothing about. Yeah. Um, so the good thing about being in a partnership house is I get the final say in everything, mm. but I'm not like a kind of what I call a hardcore self-published author who I admire so much because they control everything. Like they design their own book Yeah, but they, they don't get that um, they, that outside opinion that as much as you do. Yeah, right. and I mean, I admire those people for sure, but I do feel extremely lucky when I hit a problem and I can write to my publishers and be like, help, I can't solve this problem. And they're trying to help me out. Right. So, yeah. So how, in terms of the, um, the actual publishers, like how did you get in contact with them after you, like you provided them with a draft and they liked it and they brought you on or how was that process work? Yeah, that's right. So, um, I'd had the draft kind of sitting on my computer for a good um, sort of four or five years by then, but I'd, I'd been through um, a lot of tough things health-wise. Um, so it was a while before I kind of got into the right headspace to send it out and um, mattered all the publishers that I'm with. Even though they're self-publishing in print, they don't publish every manuscript they get sent. And uh, they do reject a good portion of them. Right. Um, so when I sent it in, I then had to wait. Um, and that was a very nerve wracking three days. 
Yeah, I can imagine. It's just three days of you wondering if you're going to get a stamp of approval, right? Yeah, sure. And I think by about halfway through day one, I had convinced myself that there was no way that they were going to take me on. Um, so I'd already thought of plan B right. because I was so convinced. And then the email finally arrived and it was like, congratulations, we're taking you on. And I was just amazed. I think I screamed probably for about 10 seconds. Yeah, it was a dream come true. So you have, so they agree with your vision and stuff. They're on board with your series. Yes. And I mean, that's amazing. You know, I mean, it was such a confidence boost to know that these um, amazing, talented, clever, professional people had kind of read my manuscript that I wrote when I was, you know, a kid, a child. And um, they they kind of looked at it and thought, yeah, that's really good. And we'd like to publish this and represent this. So yeah, that was a great confidence boost. And I do feel very lucky mm-hmm. to be with Matt. So final question mm-hmm. regarding your, um, you know, authorship. What does literally literary success look like to you? Oh, great question. That's such a good question. Um, I think my absolute dream come true would be if people read the book and they connected to it in some way. So if they were going through a hard time and it maybe helped them out, or if they were, um, they just got really enthusiastic about it and like said to one of their friends, oh, you have to read this. You know, that would be amazing to me, even if it was a small number of readers, because that's what my favorite authors and my favorite books have done for me. Yeah. That's always a common theme with authors as well. Uh, well, all creators, it's like, as long as people who, you know, hear my piece, um, you know, like it, as long as that happens, I'm good. Yeah, and I mean... You can't please everybody. And that's another thing that we creators struggle to come to terms with. You can't please everyone. Like there will be people that read your book and love it. And there'll be other people that don't really get it so much or they're not kind of feeling it as much as those other people. So, um, yeah, as long as I would say, yeah, as long as it kind of touches some of the readers, then I'll, I'll be happy because that's every author's dream. All right. So now that the, um, you know, hefty part of the interview is done, we can have some uh, rapid fire questions, which is the more fun part to get to know you a little bit. So what's the, I added some questions this week, not much, but um, best piece of advice you got. Best piece of advice I ever got. Oh, I've got so much good advice. Um, yeah, I think the best piece of advice I ever got um, was from my mum, and it was, don't worry about the things you can't change. Right. And what's the, uh, in contrast, what's the worst piece of advice you ever got? Uh, worst piece of advice I ever got, uh, writing's not a real job, pick a real one. <laughs> Who told you that, your teacher? No, can't be a... Yeah, lots of, lots wow. of teachers. Yeah, many, many teachers and um, teaching assistants and um, all kinds of um, sensible adults. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite song? At least your favorite song right now, if you can't choose like an overall uh, favorite long, song. Oh, tough. 
Long Live by Taylor Swift. All right. She's not too much of my style, but I get it. Uh, f- favorite movie? Oh, I'm a massive Taylor Swift fan. Massive. Yeah. Uh, Lion King, definitely. Disney's The Lion did you, did King. You, the original. Oh, the original. Was, I was, the yeah, movie. I was just going to ask if you saw that <laughs> remake. Um, I did see the remake. Um, but the original one will always be I have not seen one, the so. remake of Lion King, Aladdin, and I think there's one other remake. I don't I'm not gonna support that. It shows like a lack of creativity to me, to be honest. That that's yeah, true. Disney literally yeah, has yeah. a trillion billion gazillion dollars and you can't like you know, you have to remake Lion King. You have to remake Aladdin, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean Lion King, especially in my eyes. The Lion King, the original 1994 one, is a perfect film. Like it cannot be improved <laughs> upon in any way. So when they announced when they announced the remake, I was kind of like, "Oh, don't ruin my favorite film." And I didn't hate the remake when I saw it, but it just wasn't the same. Neither did I love yeah, it. Yeah, it just wasn't the same. No. Um, what are you listening to right now? Uh, what in terms of music? Yeah, 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 yeah music. Yeah. Or, um. Well. I've had a lot of time to listen to music recently because I've been in uh, quarantine. (laughs) So, yeah, um, Taylor Swift's new album, Lover, is out that I've been listening to that a lot. And also a new album by The Shires called Good Years. I'm a big fan of country songs. Oh, okay. I I don't know them at all. Never heard of them. Yeah, they're kind of, they're British country act. So I think they're more kind of big on my side of the world than kind of I don't know I, I don't know anything about country music so I know even less about British country music right so <laughs> yeah I mean British country music wasn't a thing yeah. until I'd say about two years ago and suddenly like I used to I've always been a really big country fan but no one has ever heard of the singers that I've heard yeah, that's, a <laughs> that's, that's yeah. fine so uh, yeah. what animal would you want to interact with um, as long as I could guarantee they wouldn't eat me, a lion. Oh, Lion King and a lion. I'd, yeah, yeah I'd love to just be like, I left you in the Lion King, as long as I could guarantee that they wouldn't eat me. Right, yeah. Um, but my favorite real life animal is my dog, Cleo, who is my assistant's dog. So she goes everywhere with me and she's my little helper. She's my little hero. Yeah, so you like to speak so to her, like you like to be able to communicate oh, with her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I communicate with us um, a lot, but I'd love to actually hear her <laughs> say words. I'm, wor- I'm working on it. You know, I play her audio bits and things. I'm trying to get her to, to learn to talk. That's actually that's <laughs> some comedy movies. Like, I'm pretty sure that's a comedy movie. Um, Actually, have you ever seen this movie uh, that came out? December last year, uh, some spies movie with Tom Holland and uh, Will Smith. Uh, what? Oh, I think I know um, the one you're talking about. Uh, I can't spy remember switch, what it's or, I don't know. I don't know. But anyways, it's 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 a movie where um, it's an animated movie where Will Smith becomes a pigeon. I think. Um, spies in yes, disguise. Yes. That's spies in disguise. Yeah, they become they becomes a pigeon. Yeah. and they have to speak to each other, which is uh, yeah. So my movie idea has ruined because it's already been done. But uh, <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Well, jump on the Disney bandwagon and yeah, remake, yeah. Star <laughs> remake it next year. Yeah. Um, so who do you want to have dinner with that are alive? That are alive. Oh, um, oh, so many great people. Um, 
Right now, I'd love to have dinner with my extended family, and I can't because I'm in lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of in terms of famous people, probably Neil Gaiman because when I met him, he was so lovely. So I'd love to sort of be able to sit down with him and chat about books. What can you um, eat every day? Like, what's a food that you don't mind eating all the time? Oh, so many! I love food. Um, oh, I love Chinese food. Like, if it weren't for all that um, sodium and stuff, unhealthiness, yeah. I would eat that every day. And like, there's a big bit of me that thinks that it's um, like it might. Some days I wake up and I think it just might be worth it if I just if that's all I eat all the time. But um, <laughs> then I I talk sense into myself. Yeah, yeah. Chinese food. I think I think your body will thank you in like ten years. Yeah, I'm sure it will. What is your best trait? My best trait? Um, I'm very loyal. If you mess with my friends, you (laughs) mess with me too. And what can you work on within yourself then? Oh, so much. Um, So much. I worry too much. I worry constantly, and some of the things I worry about are ridiculous, and most of them never happen. Yeah, well, that's that's the um, that's the fundamental issue with all warriors, right? You worry about things that have not happened, and you know, possibly nothing will happen. Yeah, yeah, I worry constantly. So yeah, I wish I worried less. Yeah. Um, favorite superhero? Oh, favorite superhero, Jessica Jones. From the Netflix series. I actually yeah. did that. That's the one that came out with like um, Iron Fist and um, uh, Luke Cage and stuff, right? That's yeah, right, I, yeah, I watched those other two uh, and they really weren't that good, to be honest. So I didn't... I, I, didn't... No, I started watching Jessica Jones um, purely on the basis that it had David Tennant in it. Right. And uh, he's my he's my favorite actor. Right. So I watch basically anything that yeah. he's in. But no, I actually really did enjoy Jessica Jones, and I think she's great because she, even though she's a superhero, she also has really big flaws and problems. So it kind of speaks to that diversity and nuance that I try and get across in my own. Oh, characters. I understand, so, yeah, I understand why you like it for your personal thing. You know, like speaking to someone from England, I like a lot of England English shows. I um. I really like Simon Pegg and his comedy movies. Yeah, oh, yeah. Dead and, um, yeah. Uh, what's the other one? Um, he has two other ones in that kind of series there. But all those movies are really funny. I like the British accent on the whole yeah. anyways. Oh, there's, oh, this, there's a show that, which I don't you. think you would have watched because it's probably not in your, um, you know, not in your interest. But there's a show called Top Boy, um, which is really good. And I think it's on Netflix. Oh, I have to look it up. I'll have to look it up. I'll put it on my it, watch list. It, it's probably not something you'd be interested in because it's um more like a kind of English uh, gangsters movie, well, gangster series. Sorry, but um. Ah uh, well. But I've got a few gangsters <laughs> in my. All right. So All right. Know. Yeah. No, actually, you then then you should most certainly watch at least the last season that came out. Yeah, because it was really good. It was honestly really good. Yeah, I'll put it on my watch list. I'm pretty sure, sure. your watch list is at least a hundred, hundred shows in. You know. Oh, it really is so long. Like my physical Netflix watch list, but then I've got Prime and I've got Disney Plus, and I just I have so much time at the moment because I'm in isolation. But I I need to go through my list. I'm one of those 
um, add to your to-do list and then ignore yeah. it for ages and just getting distracted by new shiny things. Yeah, no, no, no. that's understandable. <laughs> but um, all right, well, we've done 43 minutes now. So uh, do you have, well, what, can, you, can you promote your book and stuff and, um, you know? Sure. Um, so if you like what you've been hearing about my book, it would absolutely make my day. If you would consider checking it out, it's available from most online retailers, including Amazon and Apple iBooks. And when we finally get out of quarantine, if you live in England, you can go into most bookshops and order a copy. All right. And uh, is there any way uh, for people to reach you otherwise? Sure. Um, so you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm just at Natalie Hibbert over there. Uh, that's the same as my Facebook handle. And I also have a website. So if you want to go and hang out with me over there and find out more about the book, I'm also uh, over there ready to chat. So yeah. All right, cool. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Um I really did. It was great. Right, great. Some questions I've some questions I've never been asked before, and I really had to sort of think hard. Before. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, so thanks a lot for coming on for episode three, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. <laughs>